Welcome to episode number 220 of the Savvy Social Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping passion-led online entrepreneurs and business owners learn how to use social media as a tool to grow your business. I'm your host, Andrea Jones, and I'm fiercely committed to helping you understand both the how and the why to social media marketing so that you can create connection, build community, and make your difference in the world. Now, this show is brought to you by Syndable, which is the all-in-one social media management tool that my agency uses every day to schedule and manage posts for our clients. You can try them out for yourself by going to onlinedrea.com slash Syndable. Today's guest, I'm super excited to bring on the show. Uh, Jeremy Enns was actually on the podcast way back in episode 32. And today I have him back on the show to talk all about his growth and his business. For those of you who are new to Jeremy, he is the founder of the Podcast Marketing Academy, the only growth-focused podcast educational platform for experienced creators, brands, and marketers looking to build long-term sustainable audience growth systems. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. I can't believe how long it's been uh, since we, I mean, not since we last chatted, but since we talked on the podcast and uh, when we were just trying to, to figure out what number that was beforehand. It's crazy to think <laughs> you're now like hundreds of episodes later. So congrats on uh, keeping the show running. I know that is no small feat uh, as someone who works with podcasters every day and, uh, and sees them drop off uh, quite frequently as well. Yeah, I think the term is pod fade, right? Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it happens to a lot of people. But you know, this is one of my most consistent content marketing avenues. So I'm really, really excited and pleased with our progress. Thank you. Um, but for those people who are listening, talk to me about your business growth. Because when we last talked, you didn't have Podcast Marketing Academy. So what has changed in your business since 2019? Uh, a lot has changed since 2019. And actually, so the last time we were, were just talking about what kind of led to that uh, collaboration and uh, you were actually participating in an event. I guess it wasn't really an event. It was a product called the Podcast Power Pack that I was putting together, which was essentially a bundle sale of a whole bunch of different resources designed to help podcasters grow uh, available for a limited time. I think it was five days only for around like 90% off. And uh, I still think it was a great product and it failed magnificently. Um, a number of people did buy it. Um, I ultimately lost money on it largely because oh. of uh, a number of things that I would do very differently now. Um, that, that was the last type of product that I uh, ever tried to sell without a pre-sale and validating it. So yeah, definitely an important lesson uh, for me. And uh, yeah, I, th I think it was ultimately like 50 people bought it, but I had spent so much on you know, ads and website design and all this kind of stuff that is on the back end. I assumed that those would be investments that I'd continue to run this product many times in the future. And after it didn't really take off, uh, like I imagined, I thought, okay, maybe this isn't actually the right product. And uh, interestingly, now there are products, I think I was selling that one for about $300. And there's about maybe $3,500 worth of courses and books and resources and all this stuff. Now there's another company that does it. They sell a very similar thing every year for $50. And so oh, wow. a uh, much lower price. And I think that one does pretty well. So potentially it was just the pricing. Uh, maybe my timing was early, but that was something that I thought was kind of going to be the future of the business at one point. I had friends who'd done, you know, every year they launched it, they did hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales. Uh, I actually lost money on it. And so it was kind of like, okay, I don't think this is the future of the business. Mm. Um, and so at the time, I also had my production agency, which I still have, um, but that is kind of being transitioned or 
has really been transitioned now to we're kind of serving our existing clients and, you know, we'll take very selective uh, clients when they come in, the perfect fit people to do kind of production and management of their shows. But really now I'm focused on both the strategy consulting side of things, both for creators and brands and networks uh, on the marketing side of podcasting, as well as the education side. So kind of doing a lot of the same stuff, but for, uh, you know, more at scale to um, more people in my cohort based courses, as well as self-based courses and stuff like that. And that's all through Podcast Marketing Academy, which you mentioned. Yes. And we'll talk more about Podcast Marketing Academy because I love your approach to building a show and marketing that show. Um, obviously, I, you know, I love the way that you approach that. Uh, but I do want to talk more first about your social media strategy, which is, you know, one of the reasons I invited you back on because I was like, I see what you're doing on Twitter and I want to talk more about this. So, um, talk to me about why you chose Twitter to begin with as kind of your, I I think it's your primary marketing channel for social media. Yep, it certainly is at this point. And this is after I think I signed up for Twitter. I guess it shows you in your profile, probably like 2017, 2016, something like that. And just never really understood it. And I think throughout the years, there were a few times where I'd get on for a few weeks at a time and, and tweet stuff like I saw you know, whatever big name celebrity tweeting and, you know, never had any traction because that's just how it works on any platform. <laughs> you like try copying what other people are doing. You see them getting like hundreds of thousands of, of likes and retweets or whatever. And you're like, Oh, I'm going to do that. And then you get nothing. And you're like, well, this is stupid. This doesn't work. I'm going somewhere else. And uh, so I think I was on, I was on Facebook for a while, had Facebook group uh, was my primary kind of marketing channel for a while, kind of got fed up with Facebook and left that and was dabbling in Instagram around, I would say, start of 2021, something like that, and was really trying to commit to Instagram. And the disconnect for me was that I just didn't like being on Instagram. Like I feel, I mean, I, I, I was going to say like, I feel like it's addictive and I waste time on there. Now I waste tons of time on Twitter and <laughs> I find it equally addictive. So that's maybe not really the problem there, or it is a problem on both fronts. But I just found Instagram to not match up with the content that I wanted to consume. Like as a consumer, I think you need to, to have success on any social platform, like you need to kind of be a student of it. So you kind of need to enjoy the content on it as well. So you can understand how the platform works, what people want, what kind of like, you know, content you can create that matches up with that. And I just didn't want to be on Instagram. I'm a visual person. I love design. I love photography. I've used Instagram in the past when I was more into photography, but for what I was looking to do with the podcasting stuff, it just felt out of sync and it felt like a lot of work and I didn't really like consuming any of the content on, on Instagram either. And so it just felt like it was a weight, which I know like so many people feel with so many social platforms. Uh, I think around that time, I was also kind of looking at LinkedIn. There was some hype about how LinkedIn was like up and coming, which is still, there's still hype around that. Um, but that just didn't feel right either. And my partner, uh, Kelly at the time, she was just kept nudging me being like, you need to be on Twitter and, uh, Twitter's like the place for you. And I was like, no, no, I don't get Twitter. It doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know how to use it, but she kept nudging me. She had, was new to Twitter as well. And she's in the kind of no code tech space, which is there's a lot of overlap with like that maker space with the creator space. And so, you know, I, I was like, okay, well, I'll give it a try. And I started following her and some people on there. And one of the things that I actually am really grateful that I did first was I, you know, I, I started in 2017. And so I had all these people I'd followed back then, probably 500 people that were very uh, misaligned with, with where I was now. I didn't want to follow them. So I basically unfollowed every single person and then started from scratch and was like, okay, who are the like 
15 people who I actually really like their content and I actually want to get what they're putting out there. And I don't want it to get lost in the feed. And also I want to like really get this uh, really dense kind of uh, feed of good stuff that I actually want to consume. I was going to ask, you know, as you're following these 15 people, um, I know you, you mentioned the content piece, but for those people who may not know where to start, do you have like any advice for who to follow first on Twitter or, or, or how did you make that decision? I guess. Yeah. So I'd, uh, about a year probably earlier, and this actually probably contributed to the, my rationale for getting on Twitter, finally giving it a chance. I'd started getting really into newsletters and as a written, medium. Um, newsletters kind of go really well with Twitter. So a lot of newsletter writers are on Twitter. And so I kind of just started with like, okay, what are my like 15 favorite newsletters that I already like getting those every week in my inbox? And how can I get more from those people? And so I just like unfollowed everyone, added those people. Maybe there was a, a few others that I, I kept on who weren't newsletter writers, but I knew like, I like this person's approach to marketing and to creative work or to whatever. And I really started from the lens of like, I want to follow marketing people because that's what I'm, I was and still am kind of really in the world of and kind of one of the reasons I, I use Twitter. I want to connect with those types of people. And so it was really like based on people I already had exposure to. And then from there, what I didn't really realize is like how Twitter works. It's such a different platform from certainly Facebook, LinkedIn to some extent, Instagram as well, where it's kind of open. Like you don't just see posts from your, the people that you follow. You see so much there, you get so much more exposure to people who they follow and who they're retweeting. And like the conversational element of Twitter means you, it just kind of opens up the, the people that you're around. And what I realized is that I had kind of created this little node of people who were all like, they were all kind of connected too because they all had the same beliefs about marketing, same approach to, to marketing, creative work. And so they were all kind of, you know, Twitter friends to some extent, but then obviously that node of people attracts more people like them. So pretty quickly I started getting exposure to all these people I'd never heard of who really fit like the type of marketing that I wanted to do and learn about and kind of join that conversation. And pretty soon, I don't know how many people I'm following now, 900 or something like that. Not all of them are in marketing, but like this vibe has been perpetuated where it's like it has people talk all the time about like kind of what a cesspool Twitter can be. And I think if you get into like political following political people or, or news stuff, like it certainly can be. But like I was able to tap into this like really generous, good hearted marketing community where people are just awesome. And there's like, no, I, I like never see any negativity in my feed whatsoever. And it's just like seriously helpful people. And so that was the thing when like once I got into that and like I had to overcome the belief that Twitter was like a negative space at first as well. Like I, that was one of the things that kept me away from it. And once I got into it, though, I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Like I actually want to spend more time on here. And like Twitter is an amazing tool for learning. Like I have learned so much about like kind of just fleshing out my whole marketing kind of skill set when it comes to copywriting and like web design and all this kind of stuff that I'm it's not my primary focus but just by being on Twitter there's a lot of people posting like great threads and different ideas around like how to improve just incrementally at all these things like I have learned so much on Twitter uh, probably more than I have on like blog posts and and maybe even courses on some topics um, that I might never take a course on you know, uh, UX, UI or something like that. Cause I'm not in tech, but I follow some people cause I'm like, this is really interesting. And a lot of those ideas, I'm like, Oh, I actually have made my website a ton better by learning just these little things about, you know, 
how the the button design fits into your homepage and things like that. And so that was kind of one of those things where it became a self-reinforcing cycle where like I wanted to spend more time because I was getting a lot out of the platform, largely because of the people I was following, while I was also learning how to use the platform and getting better at creating posts. Um, but but really for me, it was it was in the engagement with other people, which I know is one of your kind of core tenets of how you uh, coach people to use social media as well. Yes. And I love that you created your own um, circle of influence basically on the platform. And I agree with you. You know, there's so many chances for social media to be negative, to be overwhelming, to be um, just a bad experience all around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, using it as a tool to grow your business, you found a way to carve out this niche of people where you can have dynamic conversations and you're growing your network just by the nature of the platform, which is, you know, allowing you to discover new people and other new people are doing the same thing to discover you, which is amazing. Um, one of the things that I like about your approach to Twitter are these quick podcasting tips that you post. Talk to me about your strategy behind creating that type of content piece on Twitter. Yes. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like I really, when I got into Twitter, it was really, I was really good at the engaging with other people and consuming, which I know a lot of people are, you get on a platform and you, you're not really sure what to post, but you just start scrolling through and, and finding stuff. And so I was like finding a lot of value in Twitter, but I hadn't quite like hit the sweet spot on creating content. And for the first, I would say six to nine months. So I actually, I have my, all my podcasting stuff, um, podcast marketing academy, my agency and all this, but I also have my main kind of creative outlet is uh, a newsletter called creative wayfinding. And I was kind of, which is, is a, it's for creators, but not specifically podcasters, although there is a, some overlap, but I was thinking I was going to be using Twitter for that. But one of the things about that newsletter is it's like long form, thoughtful, non like, actionable necessarily. And so I never figured out quite how to distill that content into Twitter form, which is, you know, very much more actionable short form and people do it, but I I couldn't get my head around it. And so I was kind of just like, not really sure what to post or how to post. And so I was doing some podcast stuff. I was doing some creative wayfinding stuff. I wasn't really sure what my goal was, like, what was my funnel with Twitter? Where were things leading? I, I ultimately wanted newsletter subscribers, but that newsletter wasn't about podcasting. So that was that going to turn into customers? So I just like didn't have any clarity around like, how am I using this as someone who's actually posting stuff? And eventually, something I I don't know who this was probably probably the result of multiple conversations. I was just kind of like, okay, right now, my business is around podcasting stuff. I've got podcast marketing Academy, which is the thing I really want to grow more than anything else. I'd kind of been sitting on this newsletter idea called scrappy podcasting, which I hadn't started publishing yet. I had a bunch of uh, issues built up, but I hadn't kind of rolled them out yet. But eventually sometime last year, I think it was uh, like late, probably Q3, Q4, 2021. I was like, okay, I'm actually just going to commit to the podcast funnel. I'm going to get this newsletter out there, start publishing these issues that I've already written. And I'm just going to dedicate Twitter to podcasting. And so it kind of now everything was actually in alignment. And one of the things, once I committed to that, it actually became much easier to start posting. And one of the things that I realized though, is I think this may be just something about how my brain works, but it, I think probably there's other people who, who will have the same thing, but I have a really hard time coming up with like random ideas. Whereas you, you always hear this idea that like actually, uh, constraints breed creativity. And that's one of the things that like us as creatives often rail against. But for me, it's a hundred percent true. Like the more constraints I put on myself, the easier time I have creating things. And so once I kind of just like named this series, 
um, this like quick podcast tip series, I was like, oh, something about having a frame around it. Like, okay, I, I tweet once a day, every every weekday, I, I do one tweet, it fits in a single tweet. And it was kind of like a challenge to myself of like, how many tips can I come up with that can fit into a single tweet that relate to podcasting and I can keep them fresh. And so it's kind of a, just a creative, fun, creative challenge um, to like get myself thinking about more different ideas or even phrasing the same idea in different ways. But something about like it being part of a series felt like it had more longevity to me rather than one tweet that you like send out and gets lost in the void where like from the start with this one, I was kind of like, okay, this is going to be my Twitter strategy, but these can also, and I still will do this, like turn this into at first, I was thinking like 100 days of, of podcast tips where it's like you sign up for the newsletter, you get one quick tweet every day. It's evergreen. And whenever you sign up, you get like go one through 100. Now I'm well past. I think I'm over 200 now. So I'm thinking like, oh, maybe this will be like, maybe do I take my top 100 now and do that? Maybe I just keep going to 1000. Maybe I schedule them all out through email so that surely there will be people who like them and they never want to miss them even when they're not on Twitter. And so I'm kind of thinking like there's multiple ways that this content can be put into something else. And the fact that it has like a frame and it's part of a series makes it feel more official to me. And I think to other people as well. And kind of in hindsight, like there was some strategy around it. Most of it was just like me getting my head around it. But in hindsight, I realized too, that like, if you come across quick podcast step number 137, you're aware that like, oh, there are 136 other posts already out there that I can go back through now and start finding them. And it somehow just feels more legit or thoughtful or something like that. And so that was partially planned, partially stumbled upon. But I think if for me, it's it's just made it so much easier to like come up with content because there's, even though it's not like part of a, like a podcast series or a YouTube series or something like that, one of the things that I like talk, tell people when creating shows is like your, your, your content, your, your podcast, for example, like needs to have rules about it. Like what goes in this podcast and what doesn't and how do you structure it? And for me, that was like this kind of set of rules is like, okay, I have a set of rules to operate within, which means my brain doesn't need to really like think about the constraints of each tweet I put out. It's just like, okay, we fit an idea into this little bucket and we put it out there and that just streamlined the whole kind of creative process behind it. Yes. I like this idea that constraints breed creativity because I like to do this with batching content as well. Mm -hmm. Because if you give yourself a time limit, then I find I'm actually able to complete the task. Whereas if I give myself unlimited time, my creative mind is like, do, 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 let's do nothing and everything all at once. So I love this idea of creating a container to be creative within. Um, and that you have so much backlog from these tweets. And I've also noticed you've repurposed them into the creative wayfinding newsletter. Do you find mm -hmm. that that's driving more traffic back to your Twitter account? You know, I haven't really looked that much. And like, I, I'll look at the clicks in each newsletter each week. And usually it's not a ton. And it's hard to say, because uh, there's a lot of overlap between newsletter subscribers and Twitter followers. So partly I'm just like, when I initially started it, I wasn't, I was just getting onto Twitter. I'd already been writing the newsletter before. So really for me, it was more of like a almost brand marketing type play of saying like, hey, everyone, I'm on Twitter. Like this, it, you don't need to click this link, but like as you get, you know, 12, 24, whatever, like dozens of uh, issues of the newsletter, you kind of like realize like, oh, Jeremy's always on Twitter as well. There's stuff happening over there. Like maybe now's not the time, but like I know where I can follow him for more stuff if I want. And so that's kind of been a way to just like highlight that, hey, I'm doing stuff over here as well. If you want to come hang out, this is the best place to do it and kind of engage uh, outside of the newsletter. 
I like that. And I think I like that the the ideas around branding there too, and kind of reinforcing the idea that there are other places where you hang out. Um, so outside of the podcast tips, the quick tips, what are the other types of content that you post to Twitter? Yeah. So the main one is, I would say in the past, I guess it's been probably two months now that I've been doing weekly threads. And so like a lot of people talk about how threads are the best way to actually grow on Twitter. And I can't remember who I was trying to think of this last week, who I heard say this, but there's essentially, there's probably more than this, but you can think of content in two buckets, at least in, in one context, which is like resonant content and reach content. And I think it may have been uh, for anyone on Twitter, check out Amanda Natividad. Um, she's, I don't know if you've ever had her on the podcast, but she's amazing. Just like Twitter queen. And I think it might've been her talking about this where it like was a huge unlock for me where I was thinking about, you know, the role of now I think about the role of everything, all the content I create, like, what's the point of this? Is this to gain reach and get in front of more people? Or is this to, you know, build trust and like resonate with people because usually they don't really do the same thing. And so I think of my newsletter as like, it's long form, it's nuanced, it's, not necessarily shareable in the same way that other content might be. And I think about like, okay, that's okay. Like, I'm not hoping that people are going to like share this all over the internet. This is for the people who are in the know to get to know me better and like really build up that affinity with me. Whereas threads, which I always, and like, so I gravitate to resonant style content. That's all I really want to write. It's like nuanced and thoughtful and philosophical. And it's like not accessible in the same way um, broadly. And, and so that was this thing I always kind of struggled with. Whereas once I, I realized that, that these are two different types of content that play two different roles and that we actually need both of them, then I thought, okay, I can actually detach, kind of segment my mind or, or silo my approach to these and say like, okay, I have an outlet for all that kind of stuff that I really like want to write that's creatively fulfilling. That's my newsletter. That's maybe other places. But then if I'm going for reach, like then I can create content, which is Twitter threads at this point, which are very actionable and tactical and the kind of stuff I don't, that's not creatively fulfilling to me, but somehow once I made that mindset shift, I was like, oh, this can be fun because it's like a game. It's like serving a purpose. It's like, I'm not trying to connect with people deeply with this. I'm trying to like give as much valuable and hook people and like play the social media game, but it's not like sacrificing my creative soul because I already have another spot for that. And that was the big thing where I was like, always, I thought I had to pick one, I thought like all my content had to like do both roles and that like, I never, I didn't want to write a newsletter that was actionable and tactical, even though I knew that would probably grow faster. But I was just like, I, that's just not what I want to write. And I thought like, am I going to just be, you know, resigned to growing super slowly forever? Because like, this is the, the content that comes easiest to me where, and then I realized like, oh, I can just do something else that uh, fills that other hole. And that then draws people back to the newsletter and my other content where, you know, they still need that kind of um, resonant content if they're going to build up that affinity with me. Yeah, I like that. I love Amanda's content, by the way. I haven't had her on the mm -hmm. podcast. I need to reach out to her. Um, but it is that, that type of shareable content. The things people want to retweet don't tend to be the long form philosophical type content. So you absolutely, you're absolutely right there. And, and it seems to be working really well for you. Um, you know, how has your business changed since, you know, kind of being active on Twitter? So this is, this is interesting. So I think a lot of people get into social media thinking about follower growth or like growing the followers to get them to the podcast or the newsletter, email list, whatever it is to get them to products or services, or maybe a lot of people, I mean, people do this, I suppose, where you're selling directly off social media. Um, and then obviously there's more like influencer style where you're just uh, pitching products and affiliates and stuff like that directly through social media. 
those can kind of work. And, you know, I think like ultimately for me, I am running a business. And so for me, there is some end goal of people like signing up for one of my products or services or something like that. But it's been interesting in that the Twitter growth and even I would say newsletter growth has been pretty slow, but there have been some just incredible opportunities that have come through the networking element of Twitter, which I didn't really predict would happen. And it's interesting, like when you get into the Twitter world, especially like Twitter marketing, like this is a huge part of the culture. And this is one of the interesting things about Twitter versus other platforms as well, at least in the like creator maker Twitter space and and like creative marketing Twitter space. There's kind of like it's acceptable to reach out and DM people, um, especially if you've had like and, and not even just acceptable. It's like encouraged. It's how people train you to use the platform. Like when you're on Twitter, everybody's talking about here's how to get the most out of Twitter. And it's like DM people and start real meaningful conversations. And I'm grateful that right now, at least on Twitter, most of the like everybody has this shared culture of like, don't pitch them. Don't be like LinkedIn where it's just like so everybody kind of like is annoyed by LinkedIn and is like, yeah, if we're going to do this, we're going to do we're going to do this by like being authentic, real people and just like have a conversation about something we're interested in, in and try to find that that area where we can have you know a connection. And of course, there's people who are like, don't do that really well. You don't necessarily need to, to spend time talking with those people. But that's something that I really leaned into from the start was like, okay, if I'm in a uh, a thread or a conversation with someone and we go back and forth a number of times, like I'm going to go send them a message uh, in a DM and say like, hey, seems like we've got a lot in common. Like, what are you working on right now? I'd love to hear more about it. And you know, a lot of times we might have just, you know, a three or four kind of message exchange there. And that's kind of it. But we kind of get to know each other a little bit better. And other times you like go back and forth 20 times. and You're like, OK, let's just like set up a Zoom call because clearly we have a lot to talk about. And by doing that, like I have just grown my network. In, in It's been insane. It's been kind of like the people that I've had access to. And like, I, I kind of don't even like using that because it really has felt like a reciprocal, like we were both really interested in getting to know each other. Um, but that has just been a huge kind of boost for, for me and my business. And uh, I would just say like the opportunities that have come from that, um, both just like building friendships, like one of my best friends now I met through Twitter and we went out and, and spent two months hanging out with her in Mexico, like six or nine months after we, we met or I met her through Twitter. Um, and then like, I, I think we're going to actually hang out in Portugal next month again as well. And so like all this, we've had collaborations, but I have like a bunch of people like that who we've all become like really supportive of each other's business. We're all kind of doing pretty similar things. And so there's been those. And then there's also been people who I've never seen them like a single post. They've never interacted or commented. And I've had some like really big offers, like job offers and uh, offers to speak at things. And I'm like, who is this person? I've like never even seen them before. Or I've like recognized them and been like, wow, this person's reaching out to me. They're like consuming all my content and uh, but they've never liked a single thing. Like that's kind of crazy. And so that's actually been a, where a lot of like the juice has been from from being active on Twitter is not through follower growth, but through exposure and kind of network uh, growth. Yes. Okay. I love this so, so much because it's one of those things that like, like you said, the follower numbers don't represent the actual success of the connections mm -hmm. that you're making. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, um, an example for me, for instance, is Teachable reached out to me as a Twitter DM. I thought it was spam at first. I thought it was one mm -hmm. of those accounts where someone was like pretending to be the CEO of, of the former CEO of Teachable. And they're like, Hey, we want to collaborate with you. Um, I'm glad I responded because that accessibleness is so different from the other platforms, which mm -hmm. I love. 
Um, okay, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk more about your approach to this networking and connections because I want to dive deeper there. And then we'll also talk about Podcast Marketing Academy. Interrupting cow. Moo. I'm interrupting this podcast episode because I know you're here hanging out with me and you're interested in taking the next step in your social media strategy. Maybe your social media has gotten a little stale. Maybe you're looking to revive it. Maybe you just want to tie all of those pieces together. Well, I've got a super sweet gift for you. It is a free course that's going to walk you through step-by-step how to build a social media strategy that you'll actually stick with. One that works for you and your business. One that won't make you feel like you're on this content creation hamster wheel. And it'll help you leap and jump into a social media strategy that is sustainable. So check it out. It's at onlinedrea.com slash free. And when you sign up, you'll get a super sweet bonus of uh, done for you captions, graphics, and more. Again, that's onlinedrea.com slash F-R-E-E. All right, back to the episode. All right, we are back. Now, Jeremy, one of the things I want to ask you about is a question we get a lot, which is jumping into these conversations on Twitter. Sometimes, especially those of us who feel introverted, feel like we're interrupting a conversation. So talk to me about your approach to kind of jumping into a conversation, some of the things that you add to that conversation and how you overcome that feeling of, should I even hit send on this tweet? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Depending on, I think this starts with curating the people that you follow and the conversations that you're being a part of. Because hopefully you are in a space where beginners or people who are like, I feel like the online marketing kind of creative world that I'm in is very beginner accessible, that people are generally helpful and they actually want to educate people. And so if there's somebody who asks a question, like, I don't, I've never got the sense like that. I mean, in some rare cases, somebody will like kind of punch down on them or like make them feel stupid, which like then usually the funny thing is when somebody does that, then there'll be a, a string of people who are like, why are you being like that? Like, that's not how we do things around here, kind of. And so I think like curating that space is the first step. And so like following people who are actually helpful, who are not going to like make you feel like an idiot if you ask a beginner question or something like that. So I think that like, that just makes it a lot more comfortable for me knowing that like if I ask something probably like I'm going to get a, a genuine response from somebody who's actually looking to help. Um, the second thing is, so I, I guess the first thing there is like, just ask questions when you feel like it. If you're in that space, then I would not have too many worries about like, you know, just asking whatever kind of question comes to your mind, whether that's like posting a question and asking for feedback, even if it's like something that you feel like maybe I should know this already, or if it's in a existing conversation or a thread that's kind of running like post questions on there. And one of the great things about Twitter too, is a lot of times people will do like ask me anything threads where like the whole point is, is asking questions and, you know, Reddit has a lot of that as well, but it's also kind of a, a feature of, um, of Twitter that isn't really so present on other platforms, um, as much, but like, those are great places to, to if you can find those, you could even search those. Maybe they're a little bit dated, but you could maybe still get people to, to jump on and, and, uh, answer follow-up questions. If there's a specific topic that you're, you're looking for advice on. Uh, but then when it comes to contributing, I think that this is like, this is really the same for any platform. And this is, this is actually one of like the best Twitter growth strategies that I haven't really leaned into too much yet, but is just like adding thoughtful content to the conversation. And so like, if somebody's posted something and you have something that like expands on that or offers more nuance or, you know, whatever that might be, like jump in there and offer your, your opinion on it. Um, and this is another thing that's actually led to 
a bunch of opportunities for me. Um, there's a guy, Josh Spector, who he's got probably 20 or 30,000 followers on Twitter. He's got probably a 20,000 person email list and it's, a, he's got a fantastic newsletter. And he tweeted one time about, we, we were kind of connected. We'd had a few back and forth, but he tweeted one time, maybe three, four months ago about, Hey, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Like, what should I know? And he might have even phrased it of like, talk me into or out of it. And so I basically did this whole like, thread in the replies of like, okay, here's everything that I know, based on working with a ton of podcasters over, you know, six or seven years, like, it's going to take way longer than you think it will, you're it's not, it's going to be way harder, take way more time than you think it will. And also, in the long run, it's going to be way more valuable than you're currently thinking it will be, but you're probably going to need to stick with it for five years to get that. And so he then he retweeted that. And then like, about two weeks later, he actually ended up like, shouting out to my newsletter. He does a daily, like one single paragraph newsletter. Um, he sh basically linked to my main website to his 20,000 followers. And I got like a ton of traffic and was just like not expecting this at all. But it was all based on this conversation that was started on Twitter. And since then, we've kind of like had a bunch of more back and forths about podcasting and stuff like that. And we've done a newsletter cross promotion. And so this all came from like contributing to an, an existing conversation. And like other people were responding to that. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I have something to say about this. And I have some like experience and some credibility. So like, here, like, so both it's helpful to him, but also everybody else participating in that thread. They're also seeing me at like, oh, Jeremy seems like he knows what he's talking about when it comes to podcasting. Like, I'm going to check out his stuff too. So there's like multiple benefits there. And I think that, you know, that's been one of the the highlight outcomes that that's come from these uh, conversations. But a lot of times, like, it's just fun. Like, it's like being, I think of it very much like being at a dinner party. And it's like, when people are talking about marketing stuff, like, yeah, I want to go be a part of that conversation. Sometimes I just want to listen and hear what other people are saying. And sometimes I have something to say, and I want to chime in. And so that's really how I think about it. And it's just like finding the conversation you want to be in and like, contributing because you actually have something to contribute. And it's actually an interesting conversation to you in the first place. So uh, I think, yeah, the, the, the first part is like finding the places you actually want to be, which I think that's one of the initial hurdles that people face. It's like, well, how am I supposed to find any of these? So I would go back to that idea we were talking about before of like, if you're following people who you like, and who you want to be more like or want to learn from or whatever that is, probably you're going to be exposed to those conversations and you don't have to be the one starting them, which the great benefit there is that probably many of those people have way bigger followings. And so as all of us who've ever started out fresh on a social media platform know, like usually you're going to be posting for a while. And it's just going to be crickets. You're never going to get any engagement. You'll get no likes. And so this is just a much better way to like tap into existing engagement and be a part of that. And you also funnel some of that attention back to you, but you also just get to have this like experience of, you know, learning from people, contributing to people, getting exposure to new ideas. Um, and, and that's really been how it's worked really well for me. I love this analogy of the dinner party too. I may have to steal that one because I think um, your personality and how you show up at a dinner party is probably how you're going to show up on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I find that fascinating from a consumer perspective as well as, you know, as we're navigating these platforms, the people who jump into conversations, you know, especially if you feel the comfort of being in a room with people who are all there to support one another, which is the vibe of Twitter. How do you, how do you contribute to that conversation? I really, really like that. Um, one of the things we also talked about in the green room was your approach to networking with live events. Specifically, you recently went to podcast movement right before uh, the taping of this episode. So talk to me about how you combine that in-person networking with the virtual networking on Twitter. 
Yeah, you know, I, I feel like there's, I don't know if I can tie them back together, but they seem to like stem from the the same mindset, um, which seems to be working for me. And actually, you know, I've, I've been to a number of conferences over the past five years, and I've been to podcast movement twice before and never really enjoyed it that much. And part of the reason what I realized was I just like, for anyone who hasn't been to podcast movement, like they have like a hundred sessions over three or four days. Like there's always five or six different sessions going on at the same time, like every hour of the day. So there, there's a lot. And so you're looking at the program and you're like, oh, this sounds interesting. And this sounds interesting. And it's easy to like sign up for just like fill up your entire calendar with sessions, which, you know, if you're coming in wanting to learn, if that's the point that you're going there for, that's a great thing that you can get a lot of, of value out of a conference like that. But for me at this point, I, the last time I went to podcast movement, I went to a bunch of sessions and was disappointed in 95% of them. And part of that was like, obviously like being in the podcast industry and like teaching podcast marketing and all this stuff. Like I'm just like living in it all the time. And one of the interesting things that I realized about uh, going in this year, as I was thinking about going to podcast movement is like, I was looking at the sessions. I was like, I can learn all this on Twitter way faster and way more concisely than going to any of these sessions. And I was like, well, okay, Twi Twitter was actually the first thought I had. And then I thought, well, I guess blogs, blog posts to videos, whatever. Like I can find all this online and I can learn it in a way more concise format than listening to a talk. So Going to the conference for me is very much less about the programming, which is kind of ubiquitous across the internet and more about that personal connection. And so now I'm in a position, which this is really largely through Twitter. Like most of the people I spent um, my time hanging out with that podcast movement were Twitter friends who like, I, maybe I got on Zoom calls with them before, but we'd like met through Twitter or maybe through our respective newsletters or other kind of online content. And it was kind of all about my mindset going in was like, okay, I'm not going to schedule anything. I'm going to have a few meetings with people that I've like reached out to or who have reached out to me beforehand. But mostly I'm going to bump into people who I'm like kind of aware of already online and just like hang out and get to know each other better. And it was really interesting that it wasn't, and, and this was kind of partly intentional too. I was like, I don't want to meet like a hundred people this week. I want to meet like five people who, you know, we, we end up like having really, really deepening those relationships. And I would really say that there was like two people um, most of all, who like I spent almost the majority of my time with where sometimes I feel like m mainly it was just like hanging out and having fun. But the interesting thing was like in talking with both of those two people, it was so clear at the end of it that like, oh, wow, there is a ton of opportunity from you even think about like you meet the one right person for your business or even like, you know, your romantic partner, whatever it is, like how much impact that can make on your life. And I kind of feel like I hung out with two of those people this week and didn't meet it. There, it wasn't about breadth. It was all about depth and had some like really, really deep, meaningful conversations about life, but also about business and all these like ways that we're like, okay, like we just like have to do stuff together. And there are such like massive ways that we could boost each other's businesses and creative work and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's a really cool takeaway, but I think that that's hard to come by when you are really like highly scheduled and kind of like really looking at like, okay, I got to meet this person and this person and this person and this person. Um, and actually just on that note, I was talking with, um, a friend of mine two weeks ago when I was, we, we met up in, in Nashville, I was passing through and he drove out from Knoxville and he was talking about going to, um, the ConvertKit conference, Craft and Commerce, this year, where um, I wasn't able to make it this year, but I've been before. And for anyone in this line of work, like that, they put on an amazing conference. But he was talking about he had noticed something different in himself this time, where in the past going to conferences, he had had this this mentality of like, oh, for this to be worth it, like I need to make this connection with like this speaker who's on the main stage. And like, if I can just like, you know, shake their hand, give them my business card or whatever it is, like give them my pitch, like that's going to be the thing that's going to like skyrocket my business. And he was saying like, you know, this time 
I didn't really have any of that feeling. I was fine to like ignore all the speakers and like just not have that kind of eagerness almost for it. And he was, he, he kind of made this comment about how he recognized that the fact that you, you feel that need is almost a signifier that it's the wrong thing to be focusing on. Like when you feel like I need this to work out, it's like, it's even if it happens, it's not going to work out. And I was like, whoa, that is amazing. That is like such an insight that like I felt that before too. And every time maybe I have had a little five minute conversation with a speaker, nothing's come of it. Like, and I know there are way better networkers than me and way more persistent people. But I think as I've kind of like matured in my, myself really, like I think in my like own self-confidence and understanding of like who I am and like how that comes out in my work, I've kind of like understood like the way that I'm going to like win at creative work is not by like leveraging speakers, making these connections and all these pitches. It's going to be by like being myself and like having the kinds of connections I had this week with other people where you like go for a four hour dinner and like talk all about like all the stuff that's not actual work and that you like really feel like, you know, this person that you're like really, really close friends now. And you're like always going to remember that amazing dinner you had. I was like, yeah, that's how I'm going to do this. And that's like, it's a way that feels like really just in alignment with who I am. And it's not out of that. Like I need this person to like help me achieve this, this like means to an end type method. And I think just letting back on the gas pedal almost uh, is a a really helpful way in, in most things in like networking and relationships content, business, all that kind of stuff. Yes. That desperate energy is it like mm-hmm. you can read it, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I am 100% there and there is a confidence in showing up and knowing that ah, I don't need this desperately. Mm-hmm. I do think it is very similar to other relationships, like friend relationships or romantic relationships, where if you yep. approach it, like I want to be this person's friend or like, I want this person to marry me. Like it's, uh, it can come off a little bit too strong. And I think that the same is true for professional relationships as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you make the connection sure, but like that connection could deepen. It could not, or being okay with either option is where the power I think lies in, in kind of establishing and building that relationship. I really like that. Yeah. There's a, a Mark Manson article I read recently. I think it's called the best things in life are backwards, which is essentially that where it's like, the more you, you try to get someone to love you, the less likely they will, or the more you try to get someone to trust you, the less likely they are to trust you. And it's almost like this, this inverse of effort where the less you seem to care about it and go after it intentionally, or like the the more you try to be happy, the harder it is to be happy. Like all these most important things in life are actually about like laying back on the pressure and letting them come to you kind of. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, I do want to talk about the downside of Twitter as well, because (laughs) it is a little black hole where I find sometimes I'm like scrolling forever and hours have passed. So how much time are you actually spending on your Twitter strategy, if you know, and how do you combat that feeling of I have to do other things now? (laughs) Yeah. So lately, I I think that it depends on for me on like what else I've got on my plate at the time. Cause right now I feel like I'm actually not spending as much time on Twitter as I should be if I wanted to grow Twitter and maybe my newsletter and and all this other stuff as well. So right now I feel like I'm very much like I spend probably 30 minutes a week. Okay. Actually this is, so I spend 30 minutes a week or less coming up with the quick podcast tips. So Mm -hmm. those I'll schedule batch schedule all at once. And then on the Twitter threads, those would actually probably take two to three, sometimes even like four hours to write one. And so usually like I have essentially I've structured my days where I have the first two hours of every morning is writing time. So what I try to do is write my, creative wayfinding newsletter Monday and Tuesday, and then move on to like Wednesday, Thursday, Twitter 
uh, thread writing with that time. Sometimes that gets shuffled around, but like I've got that time blocked out. I get up first thing in the morning and do that kind of before the day really starts. And then Friday, Saturday, it's kind of like going back to the newsletter to edit and tweak and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's, that's kind of how I've set up my schedule. And so, yeah, usually it, I would say like all told, maybe it's like three hours a week on creation. Okay. And then the like consumption and engagement is really just scattered throughout the day, usually not blocked off. Like when I'm, when I have more time right now, I feel like it fills in the cracks right now. I would love to schedule more like 30 minutes a day, which I've done in the past and just like set a timer and go like check my Twitter lists that I've created of like the people I actually want to be engaging with regularly and going engaging on their content, not just like my notifications of people engaging on my content, which is kind of where mm -hmm. I'm at now, which I know is like, it's good. It's again, going back to like engaging with people who are um, commenting and, and liking my content. That's more that affinity building stuff going out and engaging with other people's content is more where I'm going to get more exposure to their audiences and to them. And like good stuff's going to come from that. Like that's the stuff that's going to lead to growth, not just kind of maintaining my existing kind of bubble of people who are already aware of me. So yeah. that's the thing where I like, I know what I've done in the past is I've just set a 30 minute timer each day, set a task for like Twitter engagement and just like go through my lists, see what everybody's posting, uh, contributing where I can, um, re retweet, tweeting stuff that other people are posting, um, participating in conversations. And so that's, uh, where I'd like to get back to. And kind of right now where I've been in like launchish mode and conference mode and all this kind of stuff that's been pushed out the side. Um, so I'm kind of like aware that probably I'm not going to be actually growing on Twitter or the newsletter as fast as I could be because I'm not putting that time in. Um, but I think it's helpful to know like which tasks lead to which outcomes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. Very detailed breakdown. And I think it's very approachable as well, especially those of you listening who are creators and who are looking to leverage Twitter as a tool to grow your business. Great, great tips here. Um, let's talk about Podcast Marketing Academy because I know that um, you have this event coming up to kick off the launch of the Academy. So tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, this will be the sixth time that I'm launching Podcast Marketing Academy, which is essentially my kind of flagship course on, as it might, you might imagine, podcast marketing. Um, and what I've been doing for the past, uh, I guess this will be the fourth time now is running like a free multi-day workshop in the week leading up to that, which my goal is always to like, you know, give a ton of value and like actually give you something you can use in a different way on a, on a different topic related to, to growing your podcast over the, the course of this week leading up to it. So that's entirely free in the past. I've done one on sponsorships and I've done a couple others on various elements of marketing. And this one I'm actually really excited about because it's something that I'm excited about generally creatively, which is habits and specifically habits related to marketing. And so I think a lot of times when we think about habits, we think about, you know, our health or our, you know, eating or exercise or whatever it is. But I think that for me, the things that have led to the most growth over time when it comes to newsletter and business. It's just like the small daily things that you kind of take for granted. And it's really going back to this, like a lot of the stuff we've talked about Twitter, like, have you like sent someone a DM? Like, not that, to say that you need to do that every day. But I know that if I do that every day, like there are going to be great opportunities coming. Or am I like posting something every day? And it doesn't need to be some something that goes viral. It's like just I'm showing up being present. And so like social media is certainly one part of this. And over the course of this workshop, we're going to kind of look at three different areas, uh, one on each day. It's going to be a three-day workshop and look at how we can kind of reshape our habits, probably using the time we're already investing and just make better use of that to get more growth out of our, our for our shows and out of our effort and, and time. So uh, it's something that 
I'm very, very excited to talk about because I've seen the results and uh, just am a, a huge believer in, in the power of habits and haven't really seen many people talk about the marketing side of that or habits applied to marketing. So um, that's going to be September. Actually, you need to look at the calendar here. It's the last week in September. September 27th through 29th is going to be that workshop. Okay, perfect. So if y'all are listening before the 27th, you have to get on this workshop. There's so much value here. I'll put my link in the show notes. You can find all of the links to this episode at onlinedrea.com slash 220. Sign up for that workshop. I will be there hanging out with y'all as well. Um, lots of value here. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for being on the show. Where else can people hang out with you? Yeah, so probably the best place to to find me is on Twitter at I am Jeremy Enns. And if you want to f- explore more of everything that I've going on, got going on the newsletters, I've got a bunch of free courses, stuff like that. Uh, you can go to podcastmarketingacademy.com slash savvy. And uh, I put a page together with all my links and, and resources and all that kind of stuff there. Hey, awesome. But definitely check that out. I subscribe to the newsletter as well. I read it every single Sunday. <laughs> so thank you so much, Jeremy, for being on the show. This is a great interview. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. And thank you, dear Savvy, for listening to another episode of the Savvy Social Podcast. Make sure to give us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really helps support the show. We were in the top 100 marketing podcast, but we need y'all's help to get back into that 100 listing. So go ahead and leave your review. Share this episode with a friend. We really appreciate it. Next week, I'm talking all about Instagram engagement and engagement across the board on social media. It's down, y'all. So if you are struggling with engagement, it's not just you. And I want to talk about what to do about it. So tune in next week for that episode. That's all for now. Bye.